Hey, hey, welcome into the Big Ten Huddle. We have got a lot going on in the Big Ten to talk about. It's the football episode. We're in the offseason, but you know, we're always coming to you with at least one episode a week in the offseason talking about what's going on. We have Alec from the three, uh, three B's, booze, bets, and ball. I always feel like that's kind of a tongue twister for me, but <laughs> yep. I think I got it right that time. So you did. Yep. There we go. Excellent. So Alex here talks to Penn State with us and then Spartan Dog from Bacon Wire. Uh, that one rolls off the tongue a little bit easier <laughs> for me. <so. laughs> uh, the Michigan State podcast for Big Banter Sports. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Big Banter Sports. All three of these podcasts today are brought to you by Big Banter Sports. So definitely go check it out. Alec, how are you doing today so far? I'm good. How are you doing? It's uh, good to be back. See both you guys again. Yeah, doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, Spartan Dog, how are you doing today? JR, I'm doing wonderful. Uh, great to be back. Great to great to chop it up with you guys, and I'm excited to study to hop right into it. Oh yeah, we're we're excited here. If you're watching on YouTube, please do like and subscribe. We appreciate that. And if you are listening on podcasts after the fact, go ahead and give us a subscribe. Uh, give us a rating or review over there as well, and we appreciate that. Uh, it really helps the channel grow. Big Ten Media, all that good stuff. So uh, help us out. We appreciate it and all those things. All right, guys, let's get to the first one. Helmets and microphones are nearing approval in the Big Ten, and not just the Big Ten, but all over the country. Uh, this was Connor Stallion's dream someday. This is just what he wanted more than anything else. Uh, I know there are some Michigan fans saying Connor Stallion's finally got his wish, and so I feel like I can make the joke about it because I see Michigan fans making the joke about it. But uh, Spartan Dog, we'll start with you first. Are you in favor of the helmet communications that they're not here yet. There's going to be a vote in February, but are most likely coming to college football this year. I'm a huge proponent. I frankly, this is a long time coming. This is technology that has been in the NFL for, I, I want to say almost 20 years now. Um, 30, I, I, I think, yeah. So I, I think, I think it's four. Yeah. It is going to go a long way um, in, in determining um, in, in kind of curbing the, the stallions of, of college football, some of the sign stealing stuff. Um, the, the thing I'm most interested in is the learning curve that's going to take place. Right. I mean, you know, there's going to be a lot of adjustment, especially on defense, right. Um, who's going to have it, who's going to be the play caller, you know, how effective are these play calls going to be? Um, I think the NFL um, rule is at 15 seconds on the play clock. Uh, the communications turned off, so I'll be interested to see kind of whether or not the whether or not college football expands that a little bit, just because it is kind of the college game, or if they kind of make it uniform with the NFL. So, yeah, this is a long time coming, and I, and I couldn't be more in favor. Yeah, no, I'm super stoked about it. I think it's going to be one of those things that's going to change the game in quite a few ways. And we'll talk about how it'll change the game here in a minute. But uh, I just I look at it and I say this is not only going to, I think, give us a better product on the field, but I think it's going to help these quarterbacks get more prepared for uh, the NFL as well and, and helping them that area. Alec, what a, are you in favor or not in favor? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I am in favor of this. I, I do think that it's going to help young quarterbacks, especially because maybe a little less signals for them to learn, you know, on the fly, less to prepare for, uh, you know, leading up to game week. But the, the one thing I will say, kind of what Spartan Dog said about the the 15 second thing where in the NFL, the, uh, you know, the microphone goes off or the headset goes off is you're still going to have to have some kind of checks with the sideline and figure out signs for that too, because, I don't, especially when Joe Moorhead was at Penn State and he was the offensive coordinator, it was like, hurry up, get to the line, see what the defense is doing. And then they would check about two or three times and snap the ball with uh, three seconds left on the play clock. So you're, you're going to have to still do a little bit of both. But I do think with the whole sign stealing stuff that's gone on the past couple of years, uh, this was the right move. And it was way behind the NFL. Yeah. And I mean, when I look at it, I say you know, almost like tough nuggies to the smaller schools that say, oh, we don't have enough money to pay for this. It's like, okay, well, the, the schools that do have enough money can pay for it. And the schools that don't have enough money, they're, they're just not going to pay for it. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, are, are we really going to hinder Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State's, you know, budget and what they can pay for based off what Bowling Green can pay, pay for, based off what, you know, Louisiana Monroe can pay for? Like, at a certain point, 
we we just have to go with what's better for the game. And for some teams, it will be better. For other teams, they might have to work toward that. It might take them a few years to be able to make enough money to make that happen. But and some teams might not have as strong of communications through their helmet, but it is what it is. And that's just kind of the way that's the cookie crumbles, I guess you could put it. I forget what movie that's from, but uh, Anchorman. Is that Bruce, it? Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Okay, yes, there we go. Uh, all right, so Martin Dog, do you think this is going to be better for the game, worse for the game? Do you think it's going to be, you know, you don't think the game will really be affected, more quality product, less quality? What's your thoughts on that? You know, I don't know if we're going to see a big quality jump in terms of production um, out of offenses because of this. You know, um, the game might move like relatively maybe a little bit faster just because, you know, there's not as many checks over to the sideline. There's going to be um, a lot more of, okay, when they get to the line, the quarterback's going to have the play and he's going to have the kill play like already in his helmet by the time he gets there, he's not going to have to look over to the sidelines for the kill play. So I, I do think the kind of snap to snap um, play is going to get sped up a little bit, but like you brought up JR, this is going to be huge for adjusting quarterbacks to life in the NFL, right? Because, you know, that there's enough with expanded playbooks and all the audible options. NFL quarterbacks are expected to run along with just the speed of the game. Um, that, you know, having to learn to listen to your helmet is eliminating that. I think and getting quarterbacks used to that is going to go a long way and not just quarterbacks too. It's going to be on defense. Right. And, you know, having like Mike linebackers or, or strong safeties also have that learning curve. That's going to be huge for NFL defenses too. Yeah. I think you can have one on defense and I think it has to be one of the linebackers, but it has to be like consistently that same linebacker the whole game or something like that. I forget exactly what the rule in place is there. They went into it a little bit uh, in the stuff I was reading, but it, there's some kind of funky rule like that. Obviously the quarterback is on the field every play, unless you run some kind of wildcat thing or something like that, where something weird happens. But, uh, but yeah, there's some kind of rule there that would, uh, you know, help defense, but, Defense is a little bit more complicated than offense. You're right there. Uh, Alec, your thoughts in favor? Or, uh, you think it's going to be better quality, worse, same? What's your thoughts? I, I think it'll be relatively the same. Uh, the one thing I will say is I think quarterbacks are going to have to learn to communicate with uh, the other players on the field a little bit more if there is you know, a check or a kill play because oftentimes in college when those things would happen and they come from the sideline, like each position group is looking at a different signal on the sideline and now it's all coming from the quarterback for the most part. So it, it definitely is going to put a little more on the quarterbacks on the field. I think their preparation is going to be, you know, a little less in that because there's less signs to remember and learn, but I, overall, I don't think it's going to be a drastic change. Um, obviously if you don't know other teams signs though, like, you know, maybe a couple teams did in the past, there might be more scoring. So, I mean, those are, you know, isolated uh, examples, but I, I think for the most part, it'll be mostly the same. Well, yeah, and for a lot of coaches, not just Michigan, you know, there there was a lot of sign stealing going on. Mm -hmm. Now, Michigan, you know, kind of took it to a level that was a little bit more questionable, I guess is the best way to put it, than other coaches did. But sign stealing has been something that's been going on for years uh, in, in college football. I am sad that we're going to get less like Patrick stars and Squidwards and stuff like that on mm -hmm. the signs, you know, <laughs> over on the sideline. I always thought that was entertaining to look over there and see the cartoon characters and stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, you guys like Brent Venables, who basically made his living off stealing signs for Clemson when he was the defensive coordinator. And uh, there's been others in the past as well. That option's not going to be there like it once was uh, as well. So, and the other part of it too, you know, I listened to CJ Stroud talk about, you know, the differences between the NFL and college football and stuff like that. And he was actually saying that one of the reasons that he feels like being a quarterback in the NFL is almost easier, not like because of the competition, but what your responsibilities are is because he has that microphone in his helmet. You know, he doesn't have to look over to the sideline and, you know, know all these signs and signals. And, you know, if he doesn't know the play, then the play is dead. Now, if you're one of your wide receivers doesn't know the play, you can get away with that. But uh, he has, you know, communication in his helmet telling him what to do. And then he just has to relay that to the guys on the field. So uh, it's it's really, really interesting. 
kind of a small story that I don't think has been out there a lot, but uh, I definitely think this will be this will be better for college football overall, if nothing else. So that way uh, we can just we can see guys know the plays and uh, communicate to their guys a little bit better. So any more thoughts on that before we move on, guys? No, I'm all I got. All right. Well, Spartan Dog, we will uh, go to your specialty here, the Michigan State offseason. So there's been a, 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 a good amount of stuff going on in the Michigan State offseason. I'd say go ahead and fill us in on uh, what you th- what is going on, kind of your highlights, things like that. Yeah. So uh, if you've been living under a rock uh, this past offseason, uh, Michigan State went through a coaching change. Uh, Mel Tucker was fired with cause. Um, and they brought in Jonathan Smith from Oregon State. Um, you know, I think when I'm looking at it just off base instincts, I think it was maybe one of the better hires of this kind of of this offseason cycle. You know, Jonathan Smith is a guy who is used to doing more with less, is used to being at the school that, you know, is kind of thought of as the other school in the state. Um, and, and just really values hard work. Um, the, the motto he's been pushing thus far is, is low ego, high output, which is refreshing to hear, um, coming off of a coach who, you know, had a 51 page personal style guide <laughs> about himself. Um, so that's been great. And, you know, he, he got down and went right to work, you know, um, him and the staff, like, they were living out of they were living out of suitcases basically. Their families were were on Zillow looking for houses in the area, and they were on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, Jonathan Smith he landed in he landed in East Lansing on a Saturday, um, had dinner with Coach Izzo, and then that Sunday he was he was trying to keep the keep the recruiting class together. Um, he took a recruiting class that was you know in the nineties and only had three commits into a you know, into the 37th ranked class overall by 24 seven. Um, just a remarkable turnaround on his part. I mean, to, to, to kind of keep the class together um, as well as add to the class and kind of, kind of fill it out with guys who are going to be good depth pieces and they can develop into starters um, is great. And, you know, he brought over a lot of talent from Oregon state. I mean, Jack Felling who led, the nation in touchdowns by a tight end last season. Um, Aiden Childs, who is probably the most electrifying quarterback prospect Michigan state has had maybe since Jeff Smoker uh, way back in the day. So it, it it's really exciting times to be at Michigan state. You know, it, it was a tough season. I think, I think anyone who has watched Michigan state can, can attest to that, but you know, I it's, it's all, it's all looking up here for, for us. I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's been a good off season, definitely for Michigan State. O- obviously, going from Mel Tucker, and you know, not just the team didn't do well last year before this this past year, but then also the drama and everything that comes with all of Mel Tucker and everything this this past season to get somebody as stable as Jonathan Smith is. And that's, that was one of the reasons why I thought that Jonathan Smith was the best head coaching hire uh, for the big 10 this off season was because of how stable he, he is. And he's going to bring a lot to this, uh, this, this program that needs that after everything that happened with Mel Tucker. So, uh, so Alec and I are going to ask a couple questions here. If anybody in the chat has a question that you want to ask Spartan Dog about the offseason or anything like that, feel free to put it in there. We'll throw it up for him. But Alec, if you have a question, I'll let you go first on this. Yeah, so when I look at Jonathan Smith and kind of what he did at Oregon State, it it reminds me of, I think, what Michigan State was under Mark D'Antonio, where it was more develop guys and, you know, build a program. And, you know, they had two really strong years at the end of his tenure out there. And then Mel Tucker, I feel like, was the complete opposite of that. Transfers, trying to recruit Oklahoma, Texas, those kind of states get big name recruits. I mean, from a Michigan State fan perspective, is this, you know, what you guys feel is more, you know, what will help the program more succeed going back to someone who's more of that, uh, you know, development program type guy instead of getting big flashy names and transfers and trying to piece it together every year? So I, I think Mel Tucker. Uh, had the same problem that a lot of Belichick 
assistants have when they transition into head coaching roles, right? Where they see like the way things are Mm -hmm. at places like Alabama and Georgia, and they think it just happens overnight and they can do it at whatever school they land. Um, And I think that was one of Mel Tucker's biggest struggles on the recruiting trail was they're like, I'm Mel Tucker. This is Michigan state. The, the four and five stars will flood here no matter what. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, one of the most interesting things about Jonathan Smith's playing career was he started as a walk-on. He walked onto Oregon State's football team and by their senior year was leading them to a BCS Bowl. So, you know, I he he did bring on like eight or nine like really strong preferred walk-ons. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch moving forward is how many of these preferred walk-ons kind of convert into guys that are on scholarship making contributions to the team. But yeah, I I totally agree, Alec. This is definitely um, more within Michigan State's you know identity, right? Going back to mm-hmm. to Duffy Doherty, right? Integrating college football, right? Looking at the guys who are overlooked because for one reason or another, and developing them and winning with guys who nobody believed in, one way or the other. Oh, that's interesting because it kind of sounds like what Jonathan Smith's story would have been right you know overlooked was a walk-on and then he's leading the team to you know what would you say a bowl a bowl win or or whatever it was so yeah they uh, uh they won they won the fiesta bowl of senior year the fiesta bowl okay yeah so i mean that's fantastic and and definitely he would have that kind of experience to be able to deliver to those guys uh all right so i didn't ask the uh the minnesota guys last time they were on here because I didn't want to rub it in with them, but I feel like I can safely ask you on this Spartan dog. What's what was the story with Joe Rossi? Does he have some kind of previous connection to Jonathan Smith, and that's why he went there? Or uh, uh, you know, I, what, what's what was the story with that? As as far as I can tell, um, and I did ask the Minnesota guys. I, I did reach out to the ski you guys, and I did uh, shout out to them. They they were very gracious in answering my questions because I kind of asked them the day of. So, uh, the, it was still a <laughs> little fresh. The worst. <laughs> yeah. And they were very gracious. They answered, they answered my questions. They, you know, they, they, they filled me in on everything I needed to know about Joe Rossi. Um, th- there's really no like connections. They weren't really at the same places. Um, I think one of the things that people were concerned about with Jonathan Smith coming in is that he has no ties to the region, right? He's never coached West. He's never coached Ro- West of the Rocky mountains. Um, he is, you know, he, he was born in California, played in Oregon. His entire coaching career has been out West. So, you know, coming to the Midwest, you need to be able to, to build those connections, have those, have those relationships with coaches. And, uh, Joe Rossi was a guy who has, who has those relationships. And one of the things the ski you guys pointed out was that, you know, Fleck is Fleck in Minnesota are, a little behind the eight ball on their assistant pool compensation. So we were able to give him a raise and, you know, he was able to, it was a no brainer. And with the resources Minnesota gave him, I mean, he had like top 10, top 10 defensive units. So that that's kind of the story with Joe Rossi is that he was a guy who was kind of looking for a raise, felt a little underappreciated. And uh, Jonathan Smith was, had money to burn and was looking for guys with ties to the region. Yeah, I mean, I heard rumors last year that Rossi was kind of, uh, and again, these are just rumors, but he was kind of upset with some of the way things were going because he felt like everything was on him to win at Minnesota this season. They didn't have, you know, a a superstar running back like Mo Ibrahim and stuff like that. Uh, Now, Darius Taylor was obviously very good, but he didn't feel like the offense was strong enough to really help him out. And then he said to himself, well, I can't be Phil Parker every single time, like, (laughs) Need some help here. I don't know how Phil Parker does it, but <laughs> need some help here. And uh, and that was a part of his frustration as well. So, yeah, if you look at somebody like Jonathan Smith, who's been able to have the offenses that he has had, uh, in addition to a pay raise, that would that would make sense. So, Alec, do you have another question? Yeah. So this one comes with a little bit of a, a Penn State perspective, but how big of it was to hold on to Nick Marsh after everything that went on? I know Penn State was heavily involved. A lot of schools got into it late, but you get to keep a top 100 player in state guy receiver. And 
I think the fact he's a receiver is kind of big because you you mentioned the quarterback that Smith is bringing with him just to kind of have those two young guys to build a connection over the next couple of years. Like how big is that? Not just for the program, but maybe excitement for fans to kind of have a nice quarterback receiver duo to look forward to. Keeping Nick Marsh was huge. Nick Marsh was a guy who um, was the cornerstone of the class under Mel Tucker. Um, decommitted while Tucker was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in the midst of the 2022 season, um, but recommitted over this summer. Um, you know, the the Marsh family, and, and they've spoken on record about this, was big on relationships. So, um, you know, a lot of credit goes to goes to Jonathan Smith. Um, like I said, he would he came in, he came in on a Saturday, had dinner with Coach Izzo. Sunday morning, he was in River Rouge, Michigan, visiting the Marsh family. So that's huge. And retaining Courtney Hawkins, the wide receivers coach, was also huge in keeping him because the Marsh family was big on relationships and continuity. And and Courtney Hawkins was the primary recruiter. He was their he was their point man for Michigan State. So being able to keep Courtney Hawkins on board, I think, really sealed the deal. I'm I'm really excited for this Nick Marsh and Child's connection. It is going to be it is going to be electric. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I I totally forgot about Nick Marsh. That was a great, great question there, Alec. Uh, last question for you, for you, Spartan Dog. Uh, we don't have any in the chat, so that's okay. But uh, just grade the offseason for me. Would you give it an A plus? Would you maybe go down to maybe a B or something like that? I mean, obviously, you're very optimistic about about it. If you had to grade the offseason so far, what grade would you give? Uh, relative to the season, it's it it's an A plus. I think overall, I'm probably somewhere at an A. Um, at an AA minus, you know, there were some, there were some losses along the offensive line that, you know, that you don't want to see. Um, and, you know, losing all three quarterbacks, I think, um, I think was understandable given that, given that Smith was, is bringing in Aiden Childs, but it would have been nice to keep, uh, Noah Kim, maybe just as like an experienced guy, even though they got that guy out of the portal and Tommy Schuster, um, but you know, just to have a just to have a program guy in there like Noah Kim, I think probably would have would have went a long, long way in in kind of building that continuity in the quarterback room. But overall, based on based on how the season went, this is like the dream off season. Having a steady hand come in, um, firing Jay Johnson, and <laughs> firing Jay Johnson and Scotty Hazelton and Ross Ells, bringing in bringing in coaches who are competent, proven. And, you know, being able to flip this recruiting class, turn it all the way around, bring in the transfers he has. Um, I'm, I'm very excited for the future. Now, I think you have a lot to be excited about. Uh, I think it was a great, like I said, great hire, a lot of good stuff going on at Michigan State. So, all right, Alec, I think that means that uh, it's our time to move on to you for Penn State. And to start this off, I'll go ahead and just start off with Jackson's comment. I've got a feeling Penn State has a good chance of making the 12-team playoff in 20. 20- 24. Now you don't have to address that first, but uh, just give us the whole idea of the off season, what's been going on and maybe finish it up with is your expectation are Penn state fans expectations this year to make the 12 team playoff. Yeah. So start off by uh, James Franklin had to replace all three coordinators. If you count special teams as a coordinator, which it kind of is, which uh, the last time he replaced the defense and the offense coordinator at the fir- at the same time was 2015, the end of the 2015 season. And then 2016 was the only time they won the Big Ten uh, under Franklin. So maybe that's a sign of things to come. But uh, you get Andy Kolnicki at offensive coordinator, which I think a lot of people like that hire. His system is apparently a lot simpler than what Mike Yersich's was. And it seemed like Drew Aller did struggle with communication and seeing where receivers were going to be, especially in games like against good defenses like Ohio State, Michigan, and, you know, even the likes of Illinois at times. So I I, I think this, the offensive hire is very good. I think most people tell you they would have preferred to hold on to Manny Diaz. Um, I I think some people were a little underwhelmed that he took the Duke job. I, I think people thought maybe he'd leave for a better job and uh, from some of the things I heard, Penn State made a very competitive offer to him that was maybe not all the way up there with what Duke offered, but close enough where you could say, just run it back for one more year and maybe a better job comes along next year. But that was not the case. Um, so he sticks with getting another 
head coach that in a sense was a little disgraced on their way out with getting Tom Allen from Indiana. Uh, you know, a guy that developed linebackers at a decent rate at Indiana. So he gets to come to Penn state where recruiting linebackers is pretty easy. There's a lot of tradition with linebackers. So I, I don't think that's a bad hire. I, I don't think it's Manny Diaz and that level of aggression that he brought with the amount of sacks and turnovers they uh, produced the last couple of seasons, but it's not bad at all. I, I think there's a lot of continuity with the rest of the staff. Every position coach came back, which is big, especially for the receivers, because that room needed kind of an overhaul. And you get Julian Fleming. I know JR and I were talking about this before the show, just kind of what Julian Fleming brings to this team. Maybe not so much as a pass catcher, but just being a leader in that room. It's a relatively inexperienced room that lost its leader in Parker Washington after the 2022 season. And it, it showed last season on the field there was a lot of mistakes, a lot of guys not knowing the playbook, um, lose your top three corners. And then they brought in the, I don't know if he still is, because I know when Washington and Alabama guys entered the portal, that changed. But A.J. Harris at one point was the number one corner in the portal. They bring him in from Georgia, which was a big get to replace King and Johnny Dixon. So I thought they did well. They brought back Nolan Rucci, who is a legacy recruit, who they lost to Wisconsin back in the 21 cycle they get him back he's going to battle for the right tackle spot so they didn't do a lot in the portal I thought they did enough to fill in spots that definitely needed someone which was nice uh Drew Aller's back Nick Silton's back uh Katron Allen's back Abdul Carter's back and the big thing was they got three draft eligible defensive tackles to come back for a sixth season which I think is really big because that group struggled in 2022 if you watch the Michigan game they were a lot better, I think, this past season. So just having that continuity with that group, too, is really going to help this season. So overall, I think it's kind of a uh, a B, B-plus offseason. I think keeping Manny Diaz would have raised it to an A. And I, I think they probably still need another wide receiver transfer. So maybe that comes in the spring. But uh, I, so far, it's been, I think, a solid offseason. There hasn't been any issues or anything like that. So it's kind of been a little quiet. But I think they've gotten a lot done that puts them in position to at least compete for some of those bottom half 12 team playoff spots next year. So would you say that's the expectation then is, is they need to get to the playoffs or just contend for it? I, I think a lot of people would say they have to get in with it being 12. Now I know it's really 11 because one goes right. to a, a G five school, but you know, they would have been, they would have been in last year. I, I don't think anyone's expecting them to get, you know, the, the top four by, I'm not even sure anyone's really thinking about a home game. I think, you know, being somewhere between like in the nine to 11 range, a lot of people would be happy with that. So I, I think that's what the expectation is. I think the schedule sets up for 10 and two, nine and three. I don't know if nine and three does it. I think 10 and two might. Uh, so I, I think, you know, they, there's a good chance they're 10 or 11 with 10 and two. So I think that's what a lot of people are looking at. That's interesting. I was just on uh, Jackson's show earlier, and Jackson just made another comment here. Uh, 10-12 at USC, 10-26 at Wisconsin. Man, this kind of brutal stretch down yeah. at the end uh, versus Ohio State, 11-9. Then Washington will be very intelligent stretch for Penn State. Yeah, no. I, and the thing I told Jackson is I think <clears throat> in the Big Ten nowadays, if, if you have three losses, I think you're in. Because I don't think they're putting two Big 12 teams in. And I still think a three-loss Big Ten team is more impressive than, uh, you know, a two-loss ACC team that, you know, finishes second in the ACC most times. You know, now if it's Clemson or something like that, they might, you know, give the give the nod to them. But uh, I could see I could see Penn State making an in with, uh, with three losses, um, possibly even four. I don't think that's likely, but possibly even four. So, uh, Spartan Dog, do you have any questions for Alec uh, about the offseason? Yeah, Alec, I, I'm very interested to hear your perspective on on, on the Tom Allen hire. You know, I mm-hmm. um, I I do think that you know Manny Diaz probably would have benefited from staying another year and seeing what kind of jobs opened up besides Duke. Um, I think it was pretty obvious he was um, he was itching to get back into the head coaching job. I know um, based on based on what you based on what you hear and what you know, um, he desperately. Um, wanted an interview for MSU. So, you know, for, for Tom Allen, you know, what are your expectations for him as, as a coordinator, given that he spent, you know, the last almost decade now as, as a head coach? Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, 
kind of be somewhere around maybe more Brett Pry than Manny Diaz. I don't know if you're ever going to get Manny Diaz level defense coordinator again, but you know, Brent Pry was a very consistent coordinator here for what over half a decade. So I, I, I think that's what you're looking for. I don't think the numbers are going to be as gaudy where they were top in the nation in sacks and top five in turnovers. And, but I think they're going to still play solid defense. Um, he was a pretty decent developer. I know the last few years at Indiana kind of went downhill, but the first few, they were they were not bad defensively. And obviously, there's going to be more talent to work with at Penn State than at Indiana. So I expect them to still be a you know a top 15 type defense. But I think a lot of that will be more based on yards and points, which you know they still were with Diaz. But I, I think some of the uh, chaos stats, as Diaz called them, uh, they might drop a little bit. But uh, I will say, I think Franklin likes Tom Allen because this might be a guy who with the way things ended at Indiana, maybe he's not interested in running to be a head coach right away again. So maybe he, it's a guy he gets for a few years. And I think that did kind of factor in his decision to go with Tom Allen is that he wants some stability with his coordinators. And I, I think bringing in a guy who maybe isn't in a rush to get back to being a head coach played in there significantly. Yeah. I was saying for a long time, all last, last season, I kept saying Tom Allen's going to get fired It is the way it is, but Tom Allen is going to make a team very happy as a defensive coordinator. I agree. He's, he's probably not Manny Diaz level, but somebody who can provide consistent defense that does a good job. Kind of like a Brent Pry. I think that was a, that was a good way to put it. So uh, Alec, my question for you. So, you know, I think Penn State fans were happy with Drew Hour, Drew Aller last year, but people were kind of giving him a lot of crap uh, with not being able to throw the ball downfield and some of that stuff. Where where does the fan base right now sit on Drew Aller? And uh, kind of side question to that is his is his starting job one hundred percent safe with a new coordinator coming in? Uh, so I, I'd say the fan base might be a little lukewarm. I think. A decent amount of people, including myself, wanted to give him a pass for the fact that Yersich ran a complicated system that he clearly didn't get the way Sean Clifford got, and he's a lot younger than Sean Clifford, so I can get understand that a little bit. And the second part is the receivers this year were not good. I mean, I I look I was at the uh, Penn State Ohio State game, and I felt like McCord and Al were both struggling, but the difference was. When McCord was struggling, he had, you know, a top three pick in the draft to throw to that was his go-to guy, his, you know, security blanket. And Aller just didn't have that. And I felt like it did hurt him. He was inaccurate at times. Um, you know, I whenever Penn State plays Ohio State, JTT just turns in like a top three pick too. So I I, I think that that's another thing. Like he, he got into him a little bit, um, but he also struggled with Michigan. I know Michigan had a really good defense, but. He even had problems, you know, with like every road game, like Illinois was pulling teeth for a little bit. And then he looked really good at Maryland, but Maryland defense wasn't that great. So I I just, it's hard to tell because there were games like West Virginia, Maryland, where you're like, oh man, like this guy could be a first round pick. And then you watch him against Ohio State and Michigan and it's like, are we sure this is the right guy? And I, I, it's just, it's hard to tell until we see him go against a Wisconsin at Wisconsin or, you know, against Ohio state this year. I don't think we're going to fully uh, grasp if he has improved or not, but I will say Oprah Beal, the backup maybe has a chance to do some things here because at Kansas, Cole Nicky, his quarterbacks ran and they ran at Buffalo too. I, I think um, I was looking, I think his quarterbacks averaged like 500, 600 rushing yards a year all the places he's been in OC. So Aller doesn't run. Um, and the, the one time he did run against Michigan, he fumbled and it kind of screwed that game. So um, it, it's not in his strong suit. It definitely is Prabula's strong suit, but I, I don't know if they like Prabula's arm enough right now to make him a full-time quarterback. So I think he will have an increased role, but most of it will be, you know, trick play packages, wildcat, that kind of stuff. But I, I do think, Prabula will see the field more, but I just don't think full-time. Well, and you saw that stuff at Kansas. I mean, it was not mm-hmm. uncommon to see Jaden Daniel, uh, Daniel or Daniels, I can't remember, uh, and him and Jason Bean to be on the field together, yeah. which was crazy sometimes, but mm-hmm. they were both 
good enough athletes that it was it also wasn't crazy because you're like well both these guys could touch the ball and be electric with it so uh yeah i'm really really interested to see what the uh what the kansas offensive coordinator does at penn state this year because i really did like his offenses at uh at kansas and i think that he could bring a a neat little wrinkle uh to the big 10 offenses that would make it hard to stop so uh spartan dog uh you got any more questions before we move on from this uh yeah i just have one more question uh, you know, I, I did notice, um, Alec, while I was, while I was kind of looking over, um, Penn state's recruiting classes is that, you know, it seems like transfers, uh, for, for James Franklin are, are a little bit lower on the priority list than recruiting out of high school. You, you know, I just want to kind of get your feelings on that because, you know, obviously like both out of necessity and just like preference of, of coaching staffs here at Michigan state, you know, we've really embraced the transfer portal and and kind of used it in a variety of ways. I'm just kind of curious how you feel James Franklin is using the portal. Yeah. I think he would prefer to just recruit his guys, build relationships with high schools and keep bringing highly rated guys from regional high schools, like uh, the McDonough school in Maryland. They do a really good job there. I, I think that's what his preference would be, but I just think in the age of, college football it's not what you can do by itself anymore and he's he's mentioned that he mentioned it today actually he had a media availability he mentioned like in in this age you have to embrace the transfer portal the thing is penn state is not crazy in the nil where they can kind of get in these bidding wars with some of these other schools so i think he's very selective about who they bring in and they have to make sure one it's at a position of need and two it's a good fit and I mean, so far he's he's done pretty good hitting on the guys they brought in the portal. I mean, they brought in Arnold Abicati to play defensive end a couple of years ago. He ended up being an early second round pick. They brought in Chop Robinson. He might go at the end of the first round this year. I, he's he's brought in Jordan Stout, a kicker, and the the guy's a starter for the Ravens. And like I don't when he does go there, it seems to work. But I think he likes to build up his culture, bring these guys in from day one installing them you know what the program believes what he wants out of them and he'd like to shy away from bringing in too many transfers and maybe turning off guys that he promised you know you're my guy when i was recruiting when i was in your living room recruiting you out of high school i I think he feels like he still owes some loyalty to them but when it's necessary for him to bring in someone when it helps the team get better and compete he's going to but i don't think it's their number one priority Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. I, I thank you for uh, talking about the off season there. Let's go ahead and move on to the big 10 coaching carousel. Now, dare I say, I think the carousel, you know, might be over I'm like knocking on wood at the same time. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> at least for the big 10, you know, who knows what happens elsewhere, but uh, just to give you some stats on it, the returning coaches in the big 10, like to the job they had before. We have a number of coaches like Tom Allen who are just going somewhere else in the big 10, but the coaches who were returning to the job they had before, there are 31 of them coaches at new positions at different schools. There are 23 of them this, this off season, only five schools, those five schools being Illinois, uh, Maryland, Rutgers, Nebraska, Oregon, and Purdue, I think that's all of them. And oh, and Wisconsin. So six schools. Only six schools have returned to their entire head coach and uh, defensive and offensive coordinators to their staff this year. It's been a crazy year with the coaching carousel. We just had Chip Kelly leave being a head coach at UCLA to come on over to Ohio State. Uh, Sharon Moore thought maybe he would have some of his defensive guys on his staff stay. No, he had to go out and hire a new defensive coordinator there. Uh, like we talked about Penn state, you know, they take Tom Allen from Indiana, making the defense coordinator over there. So there's a lot of craziness going on. A lot of things like that. Alec, we'll start with you. What has in your mind been the, one of the best or, or the best head coach or coordinator hire so far in this off season? Well, I mentioned I, I do like Jonathan Smith because I think he gets Michigan State back to that Mark D'Antonio type development program, which works so well for them. But the Chip Kelly thing just really intrigues me. Um, him leaving being a head coach to go to Ohio State, and I, I think it's going to make Ohio State better. Obviously, the Bill O'Brien thing, 
Penn State fans love Bill O'Brien, and then for a little bit there, they're like, do we have to hate this guy now? And I think they're very happy that that, that changed where he took the Boston College job. But, you know, I'm, I'm just interested, honestly, what you guys think about the Chip Kelly thing. I think it was kind of like he knew he was a lame duck head coach, and instead of getting fired at 2-5 and five in the middle of the season, he goes, gets maybe a little less money to be the Ohio State offense coordinator, but maybe has a really successful year. And it's easier for him to find a job next year saying, I'm not the coach that got fired midseason at UCLA. I'm the highly successful Ohio State offensive coordinator. I, I don't know. You guys think that's kind of my thought process and why he he did that. But to me, that was just a really uh, interesting move and one that kind of turns the conference upside down with UCLA in the Big Ten now. Yeah, from everything I heard, it was Chip Kelly was supposed to be fired last season after they lost to USC. Well, then UCLA beat USC. And apparently some of this money that they had to fire Chip Kelly, some of these boosters said, well, hold on. This guy just beat USC. Maybe he's a better coach than what we think. And the AD at UCLA was, no, guys, he's terrible. We have to fire him. But they just they didn't, you know, some people backed out. So they weren't able to to fire him while well, chip Kelly apparently never had a good relationship with the AD there. Uh, never really liked recruiting. I mean, th- that's been talked about a ton. And so when he had the opportunity to bounce, uh, I was told to even talk to, which I don't even know if I believe this, but I was told to even talk to Kirk Ferentz about the Iowa <laughs> offensive coordinator job. Like something. I said, I don't think I believe that, but who mm-hmm. knows? Maybe it did happen. Um, but, but I think you're right. I think he will eventually move on. I don't think he's going to move on as a head coach somewhere in college. I think he'll probably try to move on to like an offensive coordinator position in the NFL or something like that. Uh, cause I think at the end of the day, he's probably just, probably just done with that so, or done, done with head coaching in college football. So Spartan dog, you have any thoughts on chip Kelly and then, uh, who were your best hires of, of the off season? Yeah, I think, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, JR. I think, I think Chip Kelly knew his time at USC was probably up at UCLA, excuse me, was probably up. Um, I just have to, you know, I feel like Michigan state owes uh, UCLA AD Martin Jarmond a, a gift basket or something for not firing Chip Kelly when he wanted to, uh, because that allowed Jonathan Smith to fall right into our laps. So uh, I, I thank you for that. Um, but yeah, you know, Chip by all accounts hated recruiting. Um, the one time he did, rec- the one time he actually did step into a recruit was for uh, Dante Moore and that backfired on him. So, you know, he was, he wanted out UCLA wanted out. Um, it, it just, it put UCLA in a terrible position as far as the best hire. I think, um, obviously I'm taking bias out of that. I will, um, recuse myself from picking Michigan state. Uh, but, uh, I really like the D'Anton Lynn hire. I'll shout out a newcomer. Uh, DeAnton Lynn to USC, you know, you, you talk about a total overhaul in, in defensive philosophy and, and just competency. Um, I don't think you can do any better than, than DeAnton Lynn. I mean, he was, he was one of the best coordinators in, in college football last season. And now with the, with the talent that USC has and, and him being able to kind of hit the spring portal window pretty hard, I'm, you know, it's going to be an intriguing defense next season. Yeah, no, I think the Deontay Lynn hire was was the one I was actually going to say as well because I feel like that was kind of the missing piece that USC needed last year. And, I mean, if anybody's ever played sports before, they know if one side of the ball isn't getting it done, that affects the other side of the ball in, in a really powerful way. Whether the same guys are, you know, even if it's basketball, if the same guys are playing defense or then playing offense, it, it can affect it either way. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's hard when you don't trust your guy on the other side of the ball. And I feel like Deontay Lynn is going to be one that they can trust. The other one I want to point out, and I know he's not getting very much love, but I just love what Kirk Signetti has brought to Indiana so far. I mean, there's a level of confidence that I don't know has been at Indiana in a long time. Uh, Ke- Kevin Wilson kind of brought that in there, but at the end of the day, he wasn't as fiery as Kirk Signetti seems to be now this could totally backfire on him and he could lose every single game next year. <laughs> That's possible. But at least for now in the off season, I like the fire that he's bringing. Uh, I think he, he brings a lot of confidence. I look at who Tom Allen was and you know, Tom Allen, he had some good years at Indiana, but you know, the way he played Ohio state last year, it almost felt like he was playing just not to get blown out. Mm-hmm. And I, I 
I don't think that affects him as a defensive coordinator very much, but at least as the head coach of Indiana, I want a guy who actually believes in his team that they can go out there and they can beat the Giants of the Big Ten, even if they lose by 50 points. If he yeah. goes into the game believing in his guys and believing in himself, uh, I think that makes that makes a huge difference for them. So, uh, Alec, we'll go back to you. Are there any hires that kind of give you some pause, kind of give you some concern? You're like, ooh, I don't know if that was the best one. We won't say the worst hire because we ooh. can't really say that, but some that just kind of give you some concern uh, in the in the Big Ten going into next season. Oh, I can't see. I kind of want to say Sharon Moore just because first time coach, big time program trying to defend a national championship, major staff overhaul. I know a lot of the players that were coming back did stay, but I I think he has long-term could be pretty good. I I just think maybe in the short term that might not be as good as maybe some Michigan fans expect. I I do think in the next maybe this year and maybe a little bit the year that follows, there could be couple steps back i think long term it, it might work out but i i don't think it's just going to be the plug and play of harbaugh that some people might think it is okay i'm glad you said something because i was like well, should i say something but then i look <laughs> like a hater uh i don't think sean moore is a bad hire i actually think he's no. the best hire that they could have made during that time i'm more concerned with kind of the pieces around him that he's lost and yeah. how difficult it is for a brand new head coach i mean he's never been a head coach before uh and you know, he only ever coached in the Mac other than, you know, Michigan, which mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's going to make it hard on him to be able to uh, sign a new staff and, and do that stuff. But so far he's doing well. He brought in uh wink Martindale defense yeah. coordinator in the, in the NFL, Greg uh, Scruggs, I think from, from Wisconsin. So he seems like he's doing well, uh, but there is an aspect of like, yes, this was the right hire. However, I am slightly concerned, concerned, for Sharon Moore as well. Uh, Spartan Dog, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, let's not forget there's still the specter of whatever whatever comes of, of this Stallions thing too, right? Because based on what we know, uh, you know, even if Harbaugh knew or didn't know anything about what was happening, you know, um, he's gone. So, you know, they. I feel like they kind of left Sharon holding the bag there a little bit, you know, with all this Stallion stuff. So it'll be interesting to see you know, when the NCAA finishes, if the NCAA even still exists at the end of the investigation. That's the aspect of it that I brought up the other day to somebody. <laughs> I was like, listen, guys, we're talking about the NCAA might punish Michigan. What if the NCAA gets deleted before they could ever punish Michigan? Yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, in terms of, in terms of hires, I don't like um, Wisconsin hiring Alex Grinch and giving him the title of co-DC Alex Grinch is in a zone for me that Matt Patricia is in where it's like, you just can't let the guy into the building because he will make your team worse just by being there. To me, like that was an egregious move by Luke fickle. Just like setting your program back by just allowing this guy to coach, to coach your team. He is just absolutely one of the worst coaches in college football and it just like it just reinforces the the boys club uh the boys club perception that this profession has that guys like alex grinch get to do what he did at usc and just like land on his feet within the same conference yeah i never i didn't understand that at all because like it's not like they hired you know somebody else and their co-defensive coordinators together like Mike Tressel is still there. They demoted Wisconsin. Mike Tressel. They demoted him. That's what they did. Oh, what? Who's the new defense coordinator then? No, I mean like the, they demoted him in the sense that they split oh, responsibilities. Oh, Co. Yeah, Co and Co. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, why? Like, did you have to give Alex Grinch that job to hire him? Like, did he did he walk in there and say, guys, I really want to work for Wisconsin, but if you don't make me co defense coordinator, I can't work here. Because if he said that to me, I, if I'm Luke Fickle, I'm like, dude, see ya. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't get it at all. I'm with you, Spartan Doc. It's a, it's a really, really weird hire. Uh, the one other one I did want to bring up and get you guys' opinion on, and we'll start with you, Alec. Steve Belichick, uh, son of Bill Belichick, right. is now the defensive coordinator for Washington. Um, 
I, I I know you probably don't have like a long list of stats, but just like what was your gut reaction to like, okay, we're gonna have Bill Belichick's son now be a defensive coordinator in the Big Ten. What were your thoughts there? Uh my I honestly thought about recruiting first because I'm like, people are either gonna line up to play for a Belichick or this guy. I know he's like kind of a maniac and kids and their families are gonna be turned off like right away. I, I do think he's not a bad defensive mind. Those last few Patriots teams last couple of years were just really bad. Um, I, I think Belichick was a little checked out after Brady left. It, it kind of looked that way. So I, I don't know if it's you can hold all those against them. Obviously, it's a smart family. They've done very well in football for a very long time. So I think on the field, it might not be too bad. But I'm interested to see how he recruits, how he adapts to the college game. I That, that was one to me that raised an eyebrow a little bit because I'm like, I wonder how his personality is going to play in college when you have to go talk to kids all day. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't have a strong opinion either way. Like if it's a good hire or a bad hire, like I tend to believe he's coming from the NFL. So he knows what he's doing. And you know, typically NFL guys work out schematically pretty well in uh, college football, but it was just such a surprising, surprising thing. Spartan dog. What were your thoughts? Yeah. Washington has an interesting staff. They kind of got like, they kind of got some nepo baby all-stars. I mean, Brendan Carroll is their OC, uh, Steve Belichick, DC. They're definitely one of the more intriguing staffs and in coming into this season, you know, I'm mm-hmm. they're They're a hard nut to crack. I have to say, I, I don't really have, I don't have a good read on Washington. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Uh, it's going to be going to be an interesting one. So uh, guys, we got a comment from the turtle heads, Terps. 12 and 0. Don't worry, uh, Turtleheads. We will have you on at some point to tell us your offseason and how it was an A plus and how you're going 12 and 0 next year. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to it. Winning the Big Ten, going to the college football playoffs. Um, all right, guys. So our last last discussion piece here to talk about. Got some win totals in uh <clears throat> in the Big Ten from FanDuel. FanDuel went ahead and put out this information. I'm just going to go ahead and read all of them really fast. I was going to try to put this on the screen, but there there was really no good way of doing it. So, you know, you get what you get. Don't throw a fit. Uh, but Ohio State with 10.5, Oregon with 10.5, Michigan and Penn State both at 9.5, Iowa, Maryland, Nebraska, USC, and Washington all at 7.5, Rutgers, Wisconsin are both at 6.5, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan State, Northwestern, UCLA, all at five and a half. Minnesota and Purdue are at four and a half. So Spartan Dog, we'll start with you here. Uh, What teams, and try to refrain from your team, we'll talk about your team in a minute, but what teams stick out to you in a good way, a bad way, like, hey, this is way too low, or like, oh, this is way too high, or or whatever. What, What kind of stuck out to you here, Spartan Dog? I, um... I think there's going to be um, some good value on the um, on the Rutgers over. I think I think Rutgers is a team that you know Shiano's been there. I think this is year four, uh, year five, year four of the second Shiano experience. He's really got it rolling. Um, I I think they played really well last year. You know, the, their schedule isn't one of the harder ones in the Big Ten. They kind of got off a little easy. So I think when you're looking at it over six and a half, I think I think is a pretty safe bet for Rutgers. I think seven and five isn't out of the question for them. Um in terms of in terms of too high, uh, man, UCLA and Purdue, I I mean, they're they're in bad spots. UCLA is probably is probably one of the worst spots in in the conference coming in definitely among the newcomers and in the conference overall, I mean, they have an absolutely brutal schedule. They have to play Penn state, Ohio state, Ohio state, and, and they have to play LSU in non-conference. So I, I just, I, that's not a recipe for success. I can't see them getting, getting that sixth win. I really can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be a brutal schedule for sure. So, uh, Alec, your thoughts? Yeah, honestly, I, I like the Rutgers one too because I know I don't think they play. If we're going to call them the Big Four, the big the teams list, you know, in the power rankings right now, the top four in the Big Ten are 
Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. I don't think they play any of them, or they only play one or something like that. So I think uh, they won what six. They made a bowl game. They won six games last year. I think they could easily grab another one this year. Um, you said Washington was seven and a half, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's gonna be, see, like they replace what twenty-two of twenty-four starters. They play Michigan. They go to Iowa. They play USC. They go to Penn State. They go to Oregon. And they also play UCLA, who you know is hit or miss. Uh, yeah, I don't. I and they go to Rutgers, which might be a little troubling for them. I I would maybe take the under on Washington. I could see them maybe going seven and five this year. They have a bunch of tough road games. Yeah, no, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I was kind of with you guys, Rutgers as well. I feel like Rutgers is going to be over. You look at that schedule, and and I, I don't have it up in front of me, but I was looking at it earlier, and I saw you know. There's seven wins here, eight wins here. Very, very, very likely for that to happen, which, you know, I don't know if I'd ever be talking about preseason <laughs> seven or eight likely wins for Rutgers, but here we are. Greg Schiano's done a really good job and they're bringing back good talent. And, uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, Gavin Wimsack coming back, but they've also brought in, uh, Athen Kaliak Manis from, from Minnesota. So he's another option. You know, everybody can have their thoughts on if they think he's going to start or not, but at least you have another option there. So if Gavin Wimsack does go down, you know, he's there or he might just win the job outright. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, Maryland at seven and a half seemed a little high to me. Uh, not that I think Maryland is a bad team or anything like that. Turtle heads, if you are watching, but you lose uh, Talia Tagovailoa. I'm not the biggest MJ Morris fan. Uh, I'm not saying he's bad, but I don't think he's Talia level. And I think over the last few years, we've seen Talia you know, TT be able to kind of carry that team in, in some situations, uh, their defense, I think was better than people gave him credit for at times last year. They played a good game against Michigan, picked off JJ McCarthy a few times and JJ McCarthy doesn't do that very often. So, uh, they were able not a few times, I think it was once or twice, but anyway, they were able to, to make that happen, but they're just, they're, they're, they're so inconsistent. And I feel like Mike Loxley, if he's going to get to eight wins, uh, and I'm going to feel comfortable with betting that he's going to, he's going to have to, uh, you know, be a little bit more consistent with his guys in order to, to help me get there. So I don't know what do you, Alec, am I, am I, uh, am I off on Maryland? What are your, thoughts? uh, I'm reading their schedule right now. I mean, they have Yukon and Villanova, so that, that's too automatic, but like, I can't even give them home against Northwestern because we saw that. Saw that last year didn't work out for them. So it, it's hard for me to pencil in a lot of wins for them. Um, I think they do get lucky that they get like some teams that they might be around the same record as like Rutgers in Iowa. They get them at home, which I think helps. They don't, especially going to Iowa is especially difficult. So I, I think that helps them a little bit there. Um, they play Penn State. I don't know. They they have to go to Penn State and Oregon in the same season. That's a little tough. Um, Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> but I mean... And, you know, they get Michigan, they get a lot of teams that I feel like they're around the same level as at home, like Michigan State, Iowa, Rutgers. And I, I think that is going to help them a little bit, but I, I think seven and five might be good for them. I, I, I don't like going more than that just because they always do seem to lose a game where it's like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, if you just go down the schedule, UConn, that's, that should be a win. Michigan State, that's iffy. It's at home, mm-hmm. but I still, Right. Personally, I like Michigan State better in that game than I do Maryland, uh, even though they're at home. Virginia, I think they'll win that game. Villanova, they'll win that game. Uh, Indiana, even though it's on the road, I feel like they could probably win that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's that? Four, Northwestern. I think Northwestern, they're probably going to lose to them. USC, I think they'll lose. Minnesota, maybe. I think they could win that one. Five, Oregon, loss. Rutgers, I think Rutgers is a loss. Iowa, I think Iowa's a loss, even though it's at home. I think Iowa's a better team in this situation than Penn State. So, I mean, right there, if I go by my prediction just off the top of my head, that's that's only five wins. So, and they need what eight to get. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they get to eight. I think seven yeah. might be the high water mark. Yeah, Spartan dog, you with us? Probably low on a or a, the hit the under on Maryland. Or what are your thoughts? I'm gonna I'm gonna Switzerland this one. I am not I am not looking to draw the ire of the turtle heads. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I, I I'm uh I'm ex, I'm uh I'm excluding myself from this narrative. 
that's fine. I'll I'll let them come <laughs> after me. You can Alec, uh, you know, top three in the Big Ten. Yeah, but they were friendly when I talked to them this year, so I I'm yeah. I'm good with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see how uh, how Locks does this season. So, uh, all right, Spartan Dog, this is your opportunity to talk about the, uh, the over under win total for your Michigan State Spartans. It is what, what was it at at five and a half? Um, I would personally call that low. I think, but uh, what are your thoughts, Spartan Dog? Uh, bet the mor- if you have a mortgage, bet it on the over for Michigan State wins this season. Look, this is a team that. You know, back-to-back years, if not for just insane coaching mistakes, both on and off the field, would have went to bowl games. They would have made it in 2022, if not for that stupid Indiana game where the special teams just completely broke down. And they would have made it in 2023, if not for the fact that they had an interim head coach because Mel Tucker decided to be a pervert. I mean, it's just... (laughs) Like, there's no other way to put it. I'm sorry. There's no other way to put it. That's fair. There's no other way. So, you know, you're looking at a team that had six wins back to back. They're adding a lot of they're adding a lot of really good talent, both um, both along the defense. They, you know, they had a top 25 recruiting class in 2023. Those guys have those guys have two years, those guys will have two years in the strength program. You know, I just I feel like eight and four is a lot more likely than five and seven this season, looking at their schedule, you know, looking at, looking at the talent that's being brought in, looking at, at Jonathan Smith's track record as a head coach. I I really truly feel like six wins is the basement for this team next season. Yeah. I mean, I looked at their schedule and I was thinking to myself like, okay, was there an out of conference game that I was missing this year? Uh, no, it's Florida Atlantic, which, you know, Florida Atlantic is one of the better group of five teams. So, you know, I'll give them credit there who they, they played a big 10 team last year and gave them a really good game. I forget who it was. Um, is it Indiana? Yeah, no, that was Akron. Akron. Oh, that was Akron. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cause that but, game went to like quadruple overtime or something nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That was Joe Moorhead, uh, you know, in his bag, play calling in that game. But uh, yeah, no, Florida Atlantic, Paraview A&M, and at Boston College. Um, now that Boston College doesn't have Jeff Halfley, I, you know, I, I, again, I think Bill Belichick is a, not Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien is a good head coach, but still in his first year, um, I guess we'll have to see what happens with the spring portal. I think he's probably, it's probably too deep into the, uh, off season or the semester for players to transfer. So we'll have to see what happens with the, uh, the spring portal there, but they might lose some guys and make that a little bit difficult, but you know, I'm going down at continuing Indiana. That's winnable Purdue. That's winnable. Uh, and then you're looking at, can they nab Rutgers at Illinois or Iowa? And I feel like they can nab at least one of those three. You know, I'm not going to necessarily pick them, you know, uh, with a hundred percent confidence in any of those three, but I feel like they can at least nab one of those. So yeah, I think, I think five and a half is, is too low on Michigan state. So there you go, Spartan dog. I, uh, I believe in your team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alec, your Penn state Nittany lions are at nine and a half, um, based off the schedule, things like that. You feel good about nine and a half. You feel like that's right. You feel like that's too low, too high. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's a pretty good number because, they're they're either going 10 or 2 or 9 and 3 i feel like i'm not discounting the west virginia game at the beginning of the year i think on the road west virginia finished last season very strong penn state's breaking in two new coordinators in this game i i think it has trap game possibilities um i think there's a chance west virginia is ranked to start the year so that that one worries me a little bit um i'm never going to pick penn state to beat ohio state it's not going to happen even though it's home um and that team, that team looks really good heading into this season. So then it kind of comes down to, are you going to win at Wisconsin or are you going to win at USC? I think there's a good chance they drop one of those. So to me, it's just you got to win that West Virginia game and get to 10-2. and two. Um, No other game on the schedule necessarily like scares me that much. There's none that looks too trappy. Um, Washington comes to Penn State, which... Like I said, I, I think they just have to overcome too many losses from last season with a brand new coaching staff to be a legit player this year. So I I, I lean ten and two, but it, 
that West Virginia game might make or break if they make the playoff, honestly, because nine and three might not get in. I think 10 and two does. That's crazy. First game of the season could be, could be make or break. I could see a scenario where you win both the Wisconsin and the USC game. I mean, USC is at seven and a half right now. I don't think that's bad. And then Wisconsin is at six and a half. I feel like that's a little low, but you know, still like if you're what third and fourth hardest games on the schedule are, Six and a half Wisconsin and seven and a half USC, like you know, mm-hmm. got a pretty good shot of going ten and two there. So, uh, and who knows? You could have some because it is it Oregon at Penn State. No, they don't play no, Oregon. It's not they Oregon. Washington comes. Washington, to yeah, and Washington. They're not going to be as good as they were last year. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that I think that's good analysis right there. Ohio State, West Virginia, and either Wisconsin or USC. So. All right. Uh, any more thoughts on the win totals, guys? Before we get out of here, uh, no. I, no. you know, I think uh, you know Vegas always knows, but I do think there's there are some teams that they're undervaluing for sure. Well, I like this, like evaluating them when they first come out because I feel like there's no bias based on the betting. Because when people start betting, then they like kind of adjust right. them and stuff like that. But when it first comes out like this, it's like this is what they actually think is going to happen here. So. Uh, yeah, interesting for sure. So, uh, Alec, why don't you tell people where they can find you at before we get out of here? Yeah. So on X, Twitter, whatever you call it these days, uh, at three B pod PSU, if you look us up on Apple, Spotify, any podcast platform, booze, bets and ball, a Penn State football podcast, it'll come up, uh, YouTube. If you look it up, look us up, it's going to be under a, uh, page called Whitaker media. Cause we do some other stuff on there too, but you'll find a playlist with all the podcasts on there. If you look that up. Very good. How often do you do this off season? Once a week or once every other? Uh, week we're about like once every two weeks at this point. Yeah. Cool. 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 Spartan dog. How about you? Yeah, you can find bacon wire on Twitter at bacon wire. Um, every podcast platform, wherever you get them. Uh, we're, we're weekly because we also cover MSU basketball. Um, so we're, we're just, we're riding the ups and downs of, of the MSU basketball experience right now. So uh, yeah, we're uh, we're every week, and we are everywhere. We're our legion. <laughs> there you go. Hey, big win for MSU basketball over Illinois. This absolutely, week. absolutely. So, I think that solidified their their tournament hopes if uh, if they do everything else the way they should. So <laughs> yep. we'll see about that. But all right, uh, Alan, thank you for coming on. Spartan Dog, Got thank it. you for coming on. Everybody else, thank you for listening to this episode of the Big Ten Huddle. We hope you have a good one. Have a good night. Stay safe. Stay warm. See ya. <laughs>